In brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's might. Respect their power for they'll make you see the Everybody, I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 220. The Collaborative Conway Crossover Caper. Nice, Chad. Nice. <laughs> that's, that's right. <laughs> All those C's in there. Had to had to get that uh was was that alliteration? Yeah, I was just gonna say I was just gonna give you an A plus for alliteration. Or maybe a <laughs> C for alliteration. <laughs> C plus. Plus, plus, plus. <laughs> uh, that's right, guys. Uh, we are doing this uh, this crossover thing in, in uh, collaboration uh, with several other podcasters and bloggers across the internet, some of which, not the least of which, include <clears throat> the Superman and Batman podcast, the Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror, Flowers and Fishnets, Comic Book Time Machine, Supermates, The Hammer Podcast, Superman Forever Radio, Task Force X, Head Speaks, Quarter Bin Podcast, Fire and Water Podcast, Pop Culture Affidavit, King Size Comics, Giant Size Fun, From Kid to Flash, Hey Kids Comics, and Between the Pages Blog. Uh, just to name a few. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's so, just so, a few? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, now... I'll put a link to that on the website. So uh, before we get into it, guys, do not forget, go to the website, www.lanterncast.com, so you can find all the various participants in this big crossover. Um, so why are we doing this crossover? Well, it probably came out, what, a few weeks ago now, right? Yes. That uh, there's some there's some stuff going on, and we're not going to get too too much into the politics of it. Um, but there's some stuff going on with, uh, or was going on between Jerry Conway, the creator in DC comics. And he wrote on his Tumblr page all about it. Now it is since then, you know, come, uh, you know, they, they, him and DC have been in discussions and, uh, things, uh, it's, it's an ever developing story. And he's recently actually posted a, a kind of a public apology to Dan DiDio and Jeff Johns and the powers that be over at DC comics for, I don't think he necessarily, at least the way I interpreted his most recent post, not necessarily retracting what he said, but just kind of apologizing for the venom in what he said, if that makes any sense. Um, but the long and short of it was basically creator equity. Um, the the way the, the rules had read, uh, at least uh, in, in Conway's interpretation, was... It was kind of a, a loophole in which nobody was really, quote-unquote, responsible for uh, the creation of various characters, such as maybe uh, Felicity Smoke or, or any of the other, uh, you know, uh, for Killer Frost or, you know, any of those other characters. Um, 
It had it had to do with several other things. As a matter of fact, guys, I'm also in in the website. I'm going to link to several of Jerry Conway's posts uh, that initially sparked this whole thing, uh, so that I don't put words in Conway's mouth. You know what I mean? Uh, and and exacerbate it in any way. So the long and short of it is just to kind of show some support for the creators in the industry, and you know to kind of thank Conway for putting the fans' uh, attention on to, uh, you know, this process and making sure that, you know, creators are, are well compensated for their work, which is, you know, outside of a specific instance, is, is, is generally a, a really good thing to be made aware of and be cognizant of and, and, you know, try and support the creators. We decided to all get together and cover various Jerry Conway written things out there. And for us over at the Lantern Cast, we don't have a whole lot to choose from. We actually, there's only two times that uh, Conway has ever written Green Lantern outside of his Justice League run. Um, now, Mark, since I've been talking for a little while, you've read comics a lot longer than I have. So I wanted to ask you, have you had experience with Conway before in terms of like reading him, his stuff as the Justice League series was coming out? Like, I don't, I don't know a whole lot about your particular reading history outside of Green Lantern? Like, were you reading JLA when Conway was writing it or, you know, any of that stuff? No, but Spider- but Spider-Man. But when I started reading Spider-Man, Conway was was writing it. And was that uh, a favorite era of uh, Spider-Man for you? Or? Yeah, that was uh, just like, um, yeah, I think he was one of the main, when you go back and you think about, when I think about, you know, Spider-Man writers, that's one of the ones who I think about, I mean, as we, as when we were kind of talking about the different, all the different things that Jerry Conway, you know, has done, that, you know, he did the, you know, the death of Gwen Stacy, mm-hmm. and he said that he was writing Spider-Man during that very important period, kind of, so like, for me, when I think of Spider-Man, just as much as I think of, like, Ross Andrew, kind of as almost like the Spider- the definitive Spider-Man, I think artist for me, for the most part, uh, when I, of growing up with Spider-Man, you know, I think a, a lot of the stuff Jerry Conway did when writing the book. So I think that's the book I probably have the most experience with, uh, history-wise, with uh, with Jerry Conway. Yeah, and, you know, he's he's a favored creator of mine. As a matter of fact, I appeared over on uh, the Fire and Water podcast several months back uh, when they were doing their... Uh, their episode number 100 when which they covered uh jla number 200 which was written by jerry conway uh and uh you know that it's it was it was a great issue and it made me really want to get into the jla run i've heard a lot of good things about the jla run that conway did um i know conway from firestorm um conway is one of the creators of firestorm uh and uh it's funny you mentioned spider-man uh if if you ask a lot of True Blue uh, Firestorm fans, they'll tell you that Firestorm is the Spider-Man of the DC Universe. Uh, the only kind of twist there is, uh, is if you want to look at the Firestorm mythos, Ronnie Raymond Firestorm is a relatable, um, a relatable character that you enjoy, but that's what am I trying to say? He's he's a relatable Flash Thompson. And Peter Parker is the bully. It's kind of it's kind of the it's it's reverse. a very yeah it's it's a very it's a very Spider-Man feel but in the reverse. Flash Thompson is the relatable character, the hero, and 
Peter Parker is the 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 bully, <laughs> uh, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense until you actually read Firestorm. Um, but a lot of the a lot of the mannerisms, um, a lot of the tone and stuff from Sp- the Spider Man side of the Marvel universe kind of came with Conway when he did Firestorm, um, and you got a lot of a lot of there was a lot of fun in those comics. You know, you have things going on like. Black Bison and, you know, characters like that, you know, Slipknot and, and things like that. But there, there are, there's several, uh, the, the character beats were a little more real, uh, which was, which is cool, which is a very, uh, you know, and I haven't read Conway's Spider-Man run, but I, I imagine there was, a, especially with the death of Gwen Stacy stuff in there, I imagine there was a lot of personality in those issues. Like, like there was, there was a, there was a surface level Spidey action, but the, the Peter Parker, the, you know, the the Gwen Stacy the the all that the the interpersonal stuff had to be a little deeper in that era right yes and I mean just looking at the his if you actually go back and you look at his run uh, there were a lot of major story just just off the top of my head there were a lot of major storylines that he did besides besides the, obviously the death of of Gwen Stacy and in quotes of course now of, of Norman Osborn the Green Goblin that was the they, he did. He was the one who did. Who was writing the book during the when they made Harry the Green Goblin. So, this, so the first appearance of Harry as the Green Goblin. The, if you will, the, for better or for worse. The but at the time it was really good anyway. The origins were the first hints or the genesis, if you will, of the Clone Saga with the Jackal. That was that was pretty much his last story arc, I think, finishing up with 149. So there were a lot. There were a lot of interesting. You know, a lot of interesting characters. Plus, the Punisher was introduced during that time frame. So there's a, there's a lot of stuff in the Conway, you know, you know Andrew run that was really really cool. And, and like I said, to me, I that even though I re, you know I pretty much I read Spider-Man regularly for a huge chunk of time. I started right around. I started shortly after. Uh, I think it was a few issues after Gwen Stacy died. When I started reading Spider-Man on a regular basis, but in that, but in my mind's eye, when I think of my, I think of my childhood, I think that's that's one of the main er, the main time frames that I think of. Plus, Conway also he also did the, which was really really important at the time, and now it's real. I mean, now it kind of stands out again, maybe as a little more important than it did like in the 90s when there were a lot of DC Marvel crossovers. But you know, he he was a, the writer on the Superman versus Amazing Spider-Man that jumbo tap. You know the super-sized tabloid thing when they were doing those jumbo books, uh, when they did the first real Marvel DC crossover of consequence with Spider-Man versus Superman versus Spider-Man before they teamed up, of course. That so that was that was a very that was a pretty important comic just onto itself. Yeah, he his his credits. I mean, they they go on forever. Uh, so I mean, I'm I'm scrolling through Comic Book DB right now. Just to, to see, I mean, not only was he a writer, he was also an editor on several different series for a long time. So Conway is really steeped in the industry, and I, I don't want to, I mean, there are several things he's written that I've enjoyed that I was going through when I uh, initially was made aware of this crossover uh, that I've since forgotten about. But uh, there, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to do too much, too much more lead-in, because uh, there are actually only two Outside of uh, Green Lantern being in the JLA, uh, JLA and, and Conway's involvement with the JLA series, there's actually only two other comics that uh, Conway wrote that uh, heavily featured Green Lantern, shall we say. 
The first being The Brave and the Bold, number 174, starring Batman and Green Lantern, and Super Team Family, number 12, uh, starring Green Lantern, Hawkman, and the Atom. Um, <clears throat> Super Team Family being a uh, kind of a double-sized issue, uh, and also Super Team Family uh, being a uh, short-lived uh, series. I think there's only about uh, 15 to 18 issues of that. Um but uh, oddly enough, both of these pick up uh, from a previous issue. Now, unfortunately, uh, Super Team Family I couldn't find digitally, uh, and I only happened to have number 12 where Green Lantern appeared. There was a while there where I was going through and collecting Green Lantern appearances, uh, uh, featured appearances in various issues, and I'd seen this in the, the back issue bins a long time ago and picked it up. I uh, have since never picked up any other issues of Super Team Family, so I have no idea what happened prior or after. <clears throat> and Brave and the Bold, I think I might have the prior issue to this one, uh, 173, but it's somewhere in my back issue bins, and uh, they're standing right behind me, but they're all stacked on top of one, and one another five high. So I don't think we're going to spend time doing, going to dig through those. <laughs> same, same thing for Threshold 7 and 8. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's for those of you new to the podcast. That is a running running gag. Uh, <laughs> don't worry about it. <laughs> yes, please don't worry about it. Uh, yeah, as a matter of fact, you know, I've I've got a I've got an app called uh, the CLZ CLZ Comics app, uh, and I can just tell you right now if I have it. Uh, yes, I do. I have Brave and the Bold one seventy two, one seventy three, and of course one seventy four. One seventy two, actually, uh, interesting of note here. Uh, Brave and the Bold uh, one seventy two was a Batman and Firestorm uh, team up, and uh, the Brave and the Bold one seventy three, the one before this, was a Guardians of the Universe and Batman team up. So that's kind of odd. I have them. Uh, if I've read them, I must have read them when I first got them, and haven't read them again since. So I apologize for any gaps in that, but. Outside of all the politics of what's been going on between Conway and DC uh, and everything, since Conway is only really, you know, out, again, outside of uh, a major team book like JLA or other team appearances, since Conway has only written two major featured Green Lantern appearances in these two titles here, we figured not only would it be a good time to kind of shine a spotlight on some creator equity issues and, and you know, just make sure that we kind of get the word out there that, you know, these characters came from somewhere and we need to support the people who are creating these books. Um, not just not just the, the corporate machine that, you know, uh, runs everything, regardless of your feelings on corporations, but uh, also the creators behind them. But also, since we like to kind of be definitive uh, in some regards sometimes, there's only two issues. We might as well cover all of Conway's, <laughs> all of Conway's uh, written Green Lantern uh, featured appearances in one issue. We might as well jump on that chance, right? <laughs> yeah, so we will spread this across evenly over the next four episodes. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So this episode will last five more minutes, so get ready. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. So first things first, since the Brave and the Bold issue is about half the size of the Super Team family issue – we're going to go ahead and let Mark take uh, Brave and the Bold, uh, issue 174. Let me pull up my CLZ app again because that uh, breaks things down a little bit for me. This would be Brave and the Bold, volume number one, according to the CLZ app. Uh, so Brave and the – because there's several volumes of Brave and the Bold. It was canceled and restarted several times in its history. This is Brave and the Bold, volume one, number 174. That's interesting because of the fact that that was back in the day when they gave, what, each – when you look at the the, uh, 
the first the first page that back in the day when they used to give uh, what every year was a different volume of a magazine. Back when they used to do that. Yeah. To, so volume twenty seven, which means that, that the that the the book in some way, shape, or form was around for what twenty seven years as far as they were concerned. <laughs> now it's it's possible because I think I might have seen it listed somewhere else, uh, like on a, a I don't remember. That might not be true. It might be volume two. It depends on how you label things because certain times, like for instance, uh, when sorry guys, this is a whole lot of lead in for these two issues, but just for the for the heck of it. When Flash was canceled, and I'm talking all Flash back in the Golden Age, when Flash was canceled and then restarted by Julie Schwartz in the late 50s uh, to, to be Barry Allen, and now outside of the showcase uh, issues where Barry Allen returned, or I mean the Flash returned as Barry Allen, and, and then when he came out of uh, showcase and went to Flash in his own solo's title, they actually picked up the numbering from all Flash in the Golden Age. So even though it was a continuous numbering, those are two separate volumes. I think it might have been the same case with Brave and the Bold. Brave and the Bold got canceled and then came back, but they picked up the numbering. So depending on your definition of volume, whether it be can you know by cancellation or just by numbered series run, it could be one of two. This could be volume two in the fact that it was picked up after right. it canceled. Or it could be Volume 1 in the fact that it's just continuing the number from the original Raven the Bold series. This is true. Sorry, I just wanted to throw that bit no, in that's there. That's all right. I, just, I, I had seen, the CLZ app says it's it's Volume 1, but I'd seen elsewhere, I think, that this was labeled as Volume 2. So I don't know. I think that might be the distinction. <clears throat> Works for me. <laughs> so this was 1981. Oh god, it's it, you know it kind of feels more seventies than that. Doesn't it does, it? it does. But then again, it's right on the cusp. But it was, this was from this was from May of nineteen eighty one, and I'm and this issue, much like we did when we did the Green Lantern Corps quarterly, I'm I have a digital, thanks to Chad, I have a digital copy of this, and so my if my going through the issue is you know, this issue I should say is slightly different than the way I normally do it. It's just because it's kind of weird for me going through the scrolling down and zooming in and zooming out on a screen to get but because the story is pretty straightforward I don't think it'll be a should be a major detriment to it but especially since right in the first page of the book they kind of tell you what the entire plot of the story is <laughs> which in all honesty when I when I read this when I read this the first time I didn't even pay attention to that but now, but as we we were getting ready to record I was go, going back through this and I said oh well that pretty much tells you the entire plot right there on the on the first page <laughs> so so here we go. A very interesting beginning, something you don't really see. Actually, let's go with the cover first, just because it's funny. It's like, chaos at the court of the cosmos. <laughs> and you have, because this issue of Brave and the Bold is Batman and Green Lantern, those best buds. <laughs> and, they're, and they're teaming up to help the, guard, the Guardians of the Universe, more best buds. <laughs> so on the cover, you have Batman duking it out with this, this uh, emerald construct with knight on, knight on horseback, so. Which, which, unlike many covers today, at least this actually does show you something that's actually in the book, in a way. <laughs> Minus the horse. Minus yes. the horse, but at least, you know, <laughs> one out of two ain't bad. The, the, hey, even the shield Green Lantern is using is in the book, but just not in that scene. That's right. So, it's, hey, it, it's, still, it's still better than what we get nowadays when the cover like, doesn't as a complete, you know, red herring to anything that's in the book. 
<laughs> All right, so the so the book begins where we have a little energy, a green energy bubble. Uh, Hal Jordan, Green Lantern, is creating, and. <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you. Do you remember the DC Comics Robot Chicken special? Yes. Where Batman's complaining about a a glowing green safety bubble, and they do the whole sailing bit, (laughs) where they're like sailing on a construct catamaran, and what's his name? Uh, Camo is like, I need to call my dad. (laughs) And the look on Batman's face looks like he's having either flashbacks or flash forwards to that very moment. He's like, holy shit! Holy shit, Batman! Wait, I'm Batman! Up, up, and away! Uh, don't you think you should sit down? Because I'm going to be flying really fast. I just think it would be safer. I just... Isn't there another shape? Couldn't you make it more vehicular? Why? Look, it doesn't matter. Let's just go in the ball. Oh, because it's emasculating. Oh, boy, you're one of those just-put-it-right-out-there guys, aren't you? Yes, it is emasculating. It is emasculating to show up with no superpowers in a lime green safety bubble. No, well, no, let's talk about this for a second. Earlier, you said something more vehicular, like a plane? Sure. Okay, yeah, no, jet or prop? Oh, a big prop plane for sure. And while you guys are fighting the robot, I'll get in a dogfight with Snoopy. Let's just go. I am sorry I ever said anything. Look, I'm not going to fly you in the bubble. I know you hate it, and that's all I'll be thinking about. Oh, I might throw uh, some audio bits from that episode in there, because uh, that just reminds me so much of that. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I won't <laughs> Don't interrupt worry you about again. Because <laughs> like we said, this actual issue, is pro- once we get rolling, probably isn't going to take very long. No, go ahead. So uh, in this little energy bubble that Hal's creating, you have Batman's behind him, and... Uh, and a nameless guardian of the universe is in the bubble with him, and it, it turns out that the uh, where the all these where the three are going is the old homeland, homeworld of the guardians themselves, Maltus. Which and you you might know better than I, since this obviously relates to something with the Green Lan- Green Arrow, Green you know Green Lantern crossovers. But mm-hmm. Maltus is having an extreme problem with overcrowding, <laughs> overpopulation. Yes, I'm not sure why. Do you what do you do you remember what the rationale was? Um if you don't I, it's not a big I, deal. <laughs> I I think it had something to do with um with uh people not dying and but even though they didn't die anymore, they were still having children and by the time they realized there was a problem, it was too late. Um I, now, I haven't gotten to this. and Okay, I've read this issue uh, or this uh, kind of grouping of issues several – and I'm talking about the Green Lantern, Green Arrow series. I've read them several times but not recently because um, as I do the Green Lantern, Green Arrow podcast, uh, I'm going issue by issue and kind of researching each issue. I will say that uh, that what you see here on this double-page splash where they're – there are people standing asses to elbows, like <laughs> in every possible standing space in the city. Except for that it's, one little ledge, there is some elbow room up there. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Is is a representative of the issue from the seventies. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, and go ahead, keep keep recapping the issue. I've got the the trade right behind me, so I can go grab that while you're talking. Okay, so the but the name of the actual name of the story is To Trap an Immortal. 
And we have the main reason now, actually, Batman is freaking out because he had heard, you know, you t when you told me Maltus was overpopulated, I never imagined anything like this. And that's when we get, it's a big open, you know, a double splash page. And then we see, like Chad mentioned, the, like, like little ants, all, all, all the Malthusians just are lined up and uh, jam-packed together. And it's like, and, and, and Hal kind of gives us some, some uh, background too, saying, you know, believe it or not, this situation was actually worse the last time I was here. And that's when we find out that uh, the old timer, was it Ali Apsa, whatever? What's his name? Appa Ali Apsa, I believe that was his name. Later on, it was not revealed. Oh, they hadn't given it to him series. yet. Okay. Uh, I don't. I don't believe so. They just called him old timer in the Green Lantern Green Arrow era. I, I just always get his. I, I know where he has all those damn A's in his name, so I knew it. I knew they were. I got. I knew they got the names pretty much just out of order. Call him Triple A. No. <laughs> so they call. So Hal's all excited to see the old timer because he they they left. You know they left him there. The, the you know last time Hal saw him, you know, he had left him there to kind of like I think help out help out with the the problems there. Um, Crystal Wing Guardians kind of. Giving them, giving uh, old timer dirty looks as Hal's lifting him up in the air and giving him a hug, and of course the the guardian, you know, being being all typical guardian is like, and you lawbreaker, mortality seems to suit you because because at this point old timer has given up his mortality, and you can tell because he's not blue anymore. <laughs> 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 or in that one panel he kind of looks off blue, but for the most part he's drawn as having, having human skin color. Um, you have. Hal and Batman are kind of talking amongst themselves, and it goes like, "So, Hal, this is why I wanted to come to Maltus to enlist the aid of your old friend." Because, and, and then basically, Hal takes the time to kind of like encapsulate some of the hard traveling hero times with with Ollie, and explaining the uh, how basically Hal changed from his experience, and how you know he kind of like it helped. He was going through this quest, you know, this period when he didn't know if he wanted to be Green Lantern anymore. And the, you know the guardians kind of gave him a hard time about you know his emotion his emotional attack on a brother or on a, your brother Earthling and of course Hal at this point is kind of like leaned a little towards the Ollie side of the forest going like I put a slum landlord out of business that filth is no brother of mine. Uh, Green Lantern Green Arrow number seventy six. Yep. And then of course we get the nice little bubble yum advertisement. <laughs> <laughs> Mmm, good. Unfortunately, followed by a sea monkey advertisement, which is not really a good combination. But uh, so Bat, uh, excuse me, Hal, Hal continues to sum up, you know, his adventures and uh, you know, how uh, the Guardians pretty much decided that you know they, they wanted in a way to more or less understand, you know, the problems of, in a way, for the problems of a, of a human being or the fellow man. So one of the so that's how the old timer ended up, you know, more or less going on their journey with them as a like a fact finding mission for the most part to understand what it was really like. So during their hard traveling hero days, so that's how the old timer got involved with you know, Ollie and and Hal, and that you know how you know recounts you know that the friendship cost the old timer a great deal. He had to choose between saving Hal and stopping an ecological disaster or a potential one anyway. And he acted like a human being out of loyalty, and he, and he chose to save Hal's life. But, of course, he ended up paying for that because the Guardian more or less condemned the old-timer to lose his immortality, and he, had to, he more or less was exiled to Maltus to spend the rest of his remaining years. 
And as they mentioned, uh, sorry, okay. he just wanted he chose to stay on Maltus. Um, it was uh, at the very end of the issue. I'm I'm looking through my trade right now, uh, my collected edition of Green Lantern, Green Arrow, and he says, uh, uh, "How how had told uh, old timer that they were going to go to Oa to appeal to the Guardians to get his immortality back?" And he says, "No, there is much I can do on Maltus. To my, my surprise, I find that the prospect of death does not greatly disturb me." Knowing it will come, I will work. I will fill my d- days with deeds. Perhaps I can accomplish more in a decade than my immortal brothers do in centuries. I will go in peace. I am sure. Yes. So he chose to stay on Maltus. Right, but based on the recap, and, and, but to be fair, with the as, as they give us a, literally a literal asterisk that this is an incomplete reaccounting of True. seventy-six through eighty-one. Because if you just went by this, it would give you the impression that he was exiled, not not necessarily. Whether he would have chosen to stay or not, they don't kind of like reference that. But yes, he actually it was more as Chad mentions it was actually more of a choice. But so you know, Hal in a way kind of wants Batman wants to ask you know the old timer for help, and of course Hal's kind of like defending him, going, "No, you know he's kind of been through enough. I can't let you." Old timer kind of steps up to the plate again and goes, "You know I appreciate you know you st- you sticking up for me and your concern, but I've kind of already discussed the you know, situation." With his fellow, which of course he means the Guardian, <laughs> I assume his his ex fellow, <laughs> and, and, and he's agreed to you know provide any help that they need, and you know Hal's kind of like surprised a little by this that he you know that old timer would be willing to help despite the fact how the Guardians pretty much crapped on him, and you go and he, old timer says you know we each acted according to the dictates of our consciousness, well, my consciousness, my friends. Someday you will understand. So, at this point, uh, we have the now we have <laughs> now we have the four of them heading back to Oa, <laughs> and the same energy bubble. <laughs> well, actually, to be fair, it must be a new one. But the point is, it's, it's a similar bubble, and and what we didn't mention Noah was kind of on the first page. We it made pretty clear that the main issue that they're going to be dealing with here is the fact that there is an imposter amongst the guardians of the universe. And they try. And they want to use the old timer to help, basically, uh, flush out the imposter. And of course, now we get more of an we get more of details as they arrive towards the central power battery that it's actually Sinestro, who is impersonating one of the guardians. And for some reason, we don't really quite 100% understand based that he's been able to duplicate the the guardians seemingly perfectly. So the guardians have no friggin' clue. And it's kind of funny that. <laughs> One of the funniest things in the book is like when Hal says, I hate to say it, but you do all look alike. And he goes, as we do to ourselves, Green Lantern of Earth. That is the problem. <laughs> that is kind of funny. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we all look alike. Even we think so. And, you know, just at that moment, um, Batman kind of the first one to point out that there's you got this huge night being formed coming out of the central power battery. And, of course, Batman being as astute as he is goes, it's hostile. And he's right. <laughs> Good call, Batman. Of course, it's kind of redundant to say he's hostile and it means business. <laughs> but he says both and it's true. And, of course, the Guardians, in a way, it's nothing like being consistent. The Guardians are their cocky selves going, we shall dispose of this manifestation, Earthling. It's like, uh, oh, we created the battery. This is just energy from it. It means nothing to us. And, of course... They shoot up energy to try to block the sword of the knight, and of course the knight just cuts right through it. It's like, oh. <laughs> and 
and Hal kind of like I guess gives you some kind of explanation. It's like, uh, well, you forgot that one of you actually now is Sinestro, and he's his presence is sabotaging the battery, and you know that Owen Knight is about <laughs> ready to attack again. Run, go, go now! <laughs> and then Green Arrow comes in and saves everybody with fruit oh, pies. That's right, because you can't. Because nothing saves Owen oh, like some nice hostess fruit pies. <laughs> Oh, you gotta love those those advertisements. I swear, you're right. This does definitely seem more like a '70s book than an '80s book. For for the record, and those of you who don't know, one of the edicts from DC uh, uh, or Hostess, I don't remember one one of them was that uh, the character that was the characters that were being featured in the comic weren't supposed to appear to appear in the Hostess ad, so as not to confuse the readers, um, which is kind of a little odd to me. In this particular issue, only because only because they showed uh, Green Arrow. <laughs> they, well, they 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 showed Green Arrow in this issue, and they mentioned you know this this is a continuation from a prior storyline. So Green Arrow coming in out of nowhere to help out would kind of work a little bit, just because they there's there's a lot of GLGA heavily heavy reference in here. Uh, it's not as on the nose as some of there was. There were times when that edict was broken, and it just completely threw people off. Um, <laughs> I can imagine. But Why it was it, the fruit pie. It was real. It was r- r- like r- you know, few and far between that the edict was broken. But uh, this one seems like it could confuse you. Um, but I guess technically they got away with it because you know Green Arrow really isn't featured in the story. <laughs> no, he's just referencing. Ah. <laughs> uh. So, so, so the knight takes another swing, and he barely misses Batman and, and Hal, you know, and and Batman, of course, because it's brave and the bold. So, you know, Batman's Batman's the main the main cheese here, the head cheese. It's like the fact that this knight arrived, uh, uh, appeared just after our arrival, means we're a threat to Sinestro's plans. Hal, it's like, thanks, thank you, Captain Obvious. <laughs> um, you know, so again, so they continue the battle with the knight. You know, Hal. Hal, you know, tries to, he takes on the knight, Batman, you know, points out that, you know, Hal's, con- he's worried, and, and it makes sense, because, you know, his ring can tap into a, a small portion of the power battery, but, you know, but that, somehow, while the knight could, you know, draw on all of it, which, again, it's kind of shaky, but still, um, Batman, uh, being Batman, goes, sometimes brute force is its own worst enemy, and basically uses his batarang to set up uh, the knight to be tripped, which, of course, he does shortly Onto the next page, <laughs> you know he 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 calls to the night. It's like, hey you, <laughs> <laughs> and that, and conveniently enough that works. The knight comes after him, trips over the, the you know the the batarang rope that that Batman set up. The knight falls, boom, and somehow that ended the night as a threat. Not quite sure why, but it did. <laughs> uh, so Batman and Hal have a little have a private meeting there, trying to figure out you know. They're, they're plotting strategy. Uh, Hal flies off and he leaves Owa. He kind of flies off into space because Batman and and Hal are keeping this down on the DL. <laughs> they're keeping this on the down low so none of the Guardians know what they're doing so then Sinestro won't know what they're doing. Uh, so the the Guardians go to meditate to try to you know figure out what the hell is going on. Um, Batman and Old Timer are having a conversation. It's like uh, old, an Old Timer goes, you know, I kind of have my suspicions, but suspicions are not certainty. It's kind of like, will you assist me in preparing a test? And he mentions there's a temper- temperature control unit in the tower or the Guardian Citadel. 
uh, and I will tell you, you know, how to find it. So we kind of get a brief little glimpse there of what the plan is. Uh, we go inside the Citadel. The, the Guardians are all there meditating. Old Timer is, is, is kind of like watching and observing. And at this moment, you know, it's one, you know one, of the, one of the Guardians senses that something is wrong. And of course, being as diplomatic as always, it's like, Lawbreaker, you would tell us what has changed in our environment. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a fruit pie reference. <laughs> I believe I will. While we talk, would you care for a fruit? <laughs> Those DC hostess people are clever, Chad. And the green all... arrow left some behind. That's I've right. got peach, I've got apple. That's right. I've had some since our hard-traveling hero days, and because the hostess fruit pies, that would be good for another 3,000 millennia. So, that, you know, the Guardian's kind of like... Or being a little arrogant again, it's like, we don't require food, we don't require this, we don't require that, yada, yada, yada. And that's when, uh, you know, <laughs> it's funny, the old timer's sitting there just chomping on the fruit, and we see, you know, we see one guardian in the background, he starts to show, he starts to shiver. And that's, of course, and that was old timer's supposed master plan all along, it's because Sinestro really wasn't the guardian, so he was just more or less quote unquote, you know, for lack of a better way of describing it, he was human. So when you basically when you drop the temperature a lot in in, in the, the citadel, eventually Sinestro would somehow get a chill and he and while the rest of the guardians would be too oblivious to notice it essentially. And that all of a sudden tipped you know, tipped off old timer to who it was. And of course that the fact that the Sinestro Guardian decides to attack Old Timer right right at that moment too. Um, Batman now swings in conveniently enough to save old timer we'll skip over that strong arm ad <laughs> uh, the guardians engage the Sinestro guardian who still looks just like a guardian and we should point this out at the moment one of those nowadays you'd never see <laughs> yeah his cover's blown why is he I know I, I, just, like a, I mean you compare that to nowadays and if there was ever an undercover Sinestro as soon as, as, soon as the cover was blown we'd see Sinestro in all his glory and here we go for like panel after panel and page after page it's like and it's just like it's like it's like a whole gang of guardians taking on one like just waiting for the leather jackets to come out and chains and, and their biker and their bikes hey greaser that's right it's time for a rumble man <laughs> So the the guard you know the guardians once again being cocky it's like uh they attack Sinestro at first they don't think that it's going to be that big a deal and Sinestro goes you know I have become powerful enough to resist even your combined might it's like you know I can, I've tapped into a portion of the central power battery so I can control I that I can you know, I can but a power by tapping but but a portion of the central power battery I control I can bend you to my will and, and of course, you know the guardians are like, oh, we don't know what the hell's going on here. It's like, uh, we might be in trouble. And of course, now we see what you know Hal and Batman were talking about, with the Hal coming back with with the Green Lantern Corps to to help defend the guardians and attack Sinestro. And it's kind of interesting because it's almost like a a flash forward to the War of the Green Lanterns because Sinestro is at the moment controlling the other guardians. So he's basically <laughs> it's Sinestro and the guardians against the Green Lantern Corps. And you know, Batman and Old Timer are talk, you know, are talking, and you know, it's like uh, Green Lantern gathered his comrades in time, but just barely. And Sinestro had put them out of commission with <laughs> artificially induced amnesia relating to the core. 
But that was that was something that was referenced in the last issue of this, not really arc, but you know, the lead into this storyline. Uh, Sinestro and the Guardians continue to do a number on the core, and ba- you know, Batman doesn't quite understand why you know Old Timer thinks you know that Sinestro is really afraid of the core, and then Bat. Uh, old timer points out, well, you know, it's not the core he fears, it's what the core can do to his power source. And then, so basically, uh, once again, we have 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 a secret conversation between Batman and, and Green Lantern. Really convenient from storytelling, I guess, back in the, those days. And basically, uh, the, they decide that the way to beat Sinestro is instead of attacking the Guardians, to kind of like how Kyle blew up Oa. That they basically turned all their power towards the green to the central power battery, and hey, look, a central power battery that's kind of poorly drawn. So I guess there's something that's good to know. It's kind of timeless. <laughs> How dare you speak badly of Jim Aparo? I know there's no handle on that battery. <laughs> there might be, maybe it's folded in. Uh, so the core, so the core basically attacks the central power battery. They kind of give it, at least temporarily, they overload it. Then finally, the the Sinestro Guardian. Gets overwhelmed. He he becomes Sinestro again. He passes out. You know, you get the all all too common. Hey, Sinestro has been sealed in an unbreakable prison. He will menace us no more. Sinestro's <laughs> dealt with once and for all. He can't possibly escape this prison. This That's time. right. Don't they say that after every time they capture Sinestro? Except when they send him the cord, because what could possibly happen there? <laughs> so so Sinestro is no longer a threat, supposedly. Um, <laughs> even though the Guardians still have to stick up their ass calling a old-timer a lawbreaker, they still swallow enough pride to say, hey, we're willing to, uh, we're willing to give give you your mortal- your immortality back, you, you, you law-breaking bastard. And he says, it's all right, I must reply in the negative, you know, you know, I am more alive now because I of my mortality, so I treasure my life, you know, because someday it must end. And until that day, I have all that I need, for I have my friends. <laughs> and they show Batman and and Green Lantern and Old Time were all making smiley faces at each other. Now, I guess it didn't hit me when I was going through the credits to make sure Jerry written had wrote this uh, issue, uh, because it says it right there that Jim Aparo drew this. Um, but I didn't really notice that Jim Aparo drew it until I saw the the panel. Let's see, where is it at? Where um, Batman's in the foreground and Hal's in the background, and he says, "You know, that's that's more or less what Green Arrow told us right after the the GLGA recap stuff." Right. That Batman is so Aparo, it's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, like as soon as I saw that, I was like, "This has got to be Aparo," and I had to go back and double check. Uh, and sure enough, and and then of course, flipping throughout the issue, even pages before that, it's very obvious this is Aparo, but it didn't really hit me until I saw that particular panel. Uh, <laughs> like that's, that's damn sure Aparo. Uh, and another thing, uh, I knew we were reading Jerry Conway stuff, but every now and then Jerry Conway gets a, a moment to shine in terms of like prose. And when the Green Lantern Corps shows up, it, I'll just read this to people. If there is a more impressive sight in all the civilized galaxy, it must be impressive indeed, for the sight of a full battalion of emerald gladiators is enough to give even Sinestro pause. Though that pause lasts only a moment and is followed by a vicious attack, so begins a battle that will live in a legend as live in a legend as an epic. A mind controlled as mind controlled guardians battle power reigned corpsmen or corpsmen. 
while the fate of the universe hangs in the balance. <laughs> dun, just, dun, dun. Oh, all right, Jerry, let's step it up a notch, buddy. Yeah, that, <laughs> that, that, that is very well written considering how the story is for the most part. I mean, as in, it's, an, it's a, it's a cool story. Don't get me wrong, but I'm saying, but there's, yeah. you know, there are some beats to it that it's like, huh? But, <laughs> but that, that part is that it acts that, that is the coolest part. There's no doubt about that. Seeing, seeing the guard, Hey, whenever you see the Guardians take on the court, in whatever context it is, it's always pretty cool. <laughs> True. And, you know, it's, it's, to be fair, guys, any criticism we're giving this issue in terms of pure silliness is in jest, mostly because, I mean, this is, this is I mean, we it was published, it may have been published in the early 80s, but it's very much a 70s comic. Um so, I mean, the silliness is, is kind of a given when you're, especially now, not just especially with a late 70s, early 80s comic, but especially in a Brave and the Bold comic. It's not like they were meant to be in continuity stuff, things, you know what I mean? Right. So, in, in this, the, your op- to be fair, your opening page is Batman in space <laughs> with Green Lantern and a, a Guardian traveling to another planet. So do you really expect a really grounded storyline? <laughs> Batman in space! <laughs> oh, okay, and uh, the Maltus thing, I, I bookmarked it here. Um, uh, essentially what had happened was Maltus was, was sparsely populated. Um, then the planet passed through a cloud of cosmic dust. Uh, the people were grateful that uh, essentially that... They escaped unscathed until about 70 years later when they realized that everybody had essentially been sterilized uh, and no new children were being born and everybody was getting older. So this woman scientist shows up and she starts uh, kind of cloning, kind of artificially inseminating uh, in test tubes various uh, beings and then using a teleporter after growing the embryos to full adulthood stage, you know, kind of plopping these new, quote-unquote, newborns in various places all across Maltus. Well, while she's doing this, the general public recovers from being sterilized and starts having kids of their own. But this woman doesn't stop creating life. So that's how Maltus got overpopulated so fast, is the general public started being able to have children again, and this woman was creating new people as well and teleporting them randomly all over the planet. So that's what it was. And she she had lost her mind basically because I think she had uh, – if I'm reading this right, I think she had uh, – no, she didn't – she was one of the few who didn't recover from uh, being sterilized. And she wanted to have kids and this is her way of doing that and she couldn't stop. So you heard about Crohn's Crohn's disease? She basically has Crona's disease. <laughs> <laughs> Pass it on. <laughs> Spe- uh, uh. Speaking of Crona, did you did you see the did you see the preview for the Lost Army? Oh, uh, where's it at? Uh, I forget. I forget where. I have to remember where it was. I, I guess we'll be seeing a version of spoiler alert. We'll be seeing a version of Crona again popping up real soon. Then in that. Book. Oh oh oh! I thought you were talking about in this issue. No no, like, no 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 oh, no, 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 no. no no no. Okay. So. Yeah yeah, I know what you're talking yeah. about. Okay. Uh, Normal size Crona too, not like <laughs> not like Tyrion size Crona. Oh, uh, I, I enjoy this. You know, I do have a problem with the cover though. 
just I, I get that they're in the Guardian Citadel, but there's just so much white space. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was so much white in that cover, and yes, even looking at the digital, so it's not it's easy to overlook. In a way, it took me a while to really figure out what was going on. I wouldn't have guessed the story that was in the book really was the cover would not have been one hundred percent given me that on first glance what the story was about. Then once I went back and looked at it again, it's like, oh yeah, okay, that makes more sense. But yeah, it's a little too it's a little too much white space overall. Yeah. What did you think overall? I actually liked it. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, I love I love the Guardian's unwavering cockiness. <laughs> the, the knight comes out, they're like, We've got this. Yes. Shut up. <laughs> And the fact that that, he, that that even even when they're kind of like acknowledging that you know you kind of helped us out so we owe you one, it's like come come over come over here you little backstabbing bastard. Okay, we're gonna throw you a bone. <laughs> it's like oh it can't be oh we've forgiven you, brother. It's like come over here, come over here, black sheep. <laughs> you know it's funny, right? Uh, the 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 page where um, it's revealed which guardian is Sinestro. You kind of can tell right before that which one is Sinestro as well. In that panel where the Guardian says something is wrong, the Guardian to his left is shivering. Yeah, I'm just trying to get back to it, but I know what you mean. Yeah, because those those wavy lines only appear around the Guardian that's shivering. So, yeah. I also thought it was kind of odd how the central power battery isn't called the central power battery. What do they call it? They call it, um, let's see. Okay, like Batman, when the, when the knight is coming out of the pe- battery... That thing being formed out of the main master power battery. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They 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 call it the main power battery or or something like that. They never once call it the central power battery. So that makes me wonder when that became the standard nomenclature. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank God it like, has because I don't because saying the main ma- the main master power battery is a little bit too wordy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not like it's not that big of a deal, but I mean, it's just it, it just kind of like. Um, yeah, they just call it the like Hal calls it the power battery when he tells the Green Lanterns to concentrate their fire on it. But yeah, I I definitely enjoyed it. It's it's, it's silly as all get up, but I mean it has it has to be because Batman in space. Um, I do like the homage to Green Lantern, Green Arrow, uh, and you know pulling in the the whole Maltus angle and stuff like that. Which um, I mean, I guess. I don't know if that was set up. See, again, I wish I would have gone back and read, like, 173 before this to figure out which one, like, was this the plan that the previous writer had set up? Because Jerry Conway didn't write 173. So was this was this the plan going into 174 that they were headed to, to Maltus to go grab Old Timer and then Jerry picked it up from there? Or, like, how how much of 174 was set up in 173 and how much... How much was Jerry Conway doing his own thing? Right. Which, which is curious to me. As a matter of fact, I have it digitally, uh, so I will pull that up while we're, while we're talking about the issue. Anything else you wanted to spotlight about the issue? I like the art. I mean, like obviously the art is very – it does remind you of the time frame like we talked about. You know, it's definitely – and that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just – it makes you – it just takes you back to that time frame in comics. So – and – I, sometimes it's nice to see the you know kind of almost like the classic guardians with the really you know with the with 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 the big heads but just with the hair and having them all look identical and everything like that it's kind of you know it's it's good seeing 
a trip down memory lane like that too. But I think it's overall, I think it's a it's a fun little story. Yes, it would have been in a way it would have been cooler to see because Sinestro is so much more relevant now than he was then. <laughs> it would kind of be nice to see more of Sinestro than just him falling and falling out, and landing on his face. <laughs> but <clears throat> ouch! Foiled again. Uh, let's see. I'm loading the digital issue now, which is taking me a little bit of time here. I guess uh, I apologize. I will edit all of this out. Uh, Just add in some elevator music instead. <laughs> oh, hang on, guys. Um, I apologize. I right, let me retract that. Jim, uh, uh, the ride seventy three was uh, Jerry Conway. That is odd. Hmm. I no. guess it didn't pop up in my research because I was just looking for Green Lantern and Jerry Conway. Oh, that was the one with the Guardians? Yeah, this one features the Guardians. Hmm. Well, I guess we'll cover that some other time. <laughs> Prologue! I mean, I'm, I'm scrolling through, and it, it seems to be... Uh, okay, yeah. Hal, Hal does appear as Green Lantern. Towards the end, uh, probably, right? Yeah, and Sinestro's in here, too. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll cover that some other time, guys. Don't hold us to a specific time, but I imagine we'll come back to this at some point. Hmm. Right I apologize, everybody who's listening to this. I did not know that uh, this was a Jerry thing. All right. So so the whole Maltus angle was conceived on his own. That's awesome. Um, so that means the uh, uh, reverent flashback to uh, Green Lantern, Green Arrow was in the plans all along. So that's cool. Uh, to be fair, though, the Green Lantern, Green Arrow thing was a huge deal in the mid to late 70s, and this being a uh, early 80s comic, I wouldn't be, um, you know, I'm not surprised that a uh, comic heavily featuring Green Lantern uh, at that time was already trying to make some ties to the most popular Green Lantern stories ever told at the time. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So it kind of helps boost some... Uh, recognition there. Okay. You have anything else to say about this issue? I po- Man, I wish that we would have covered that. Dang. Huh. Oh, well. Uh, so, uh, Super Team Family? Sure. Okay, but before we uh, cover Super Team Family, we're going to play a couple of promos, and then when, we, when we're back, we'll uh, talk uh, Super Team Family number 12. Hey there, Lantern Casters. It's James here, former editor of the show and now game developer, and my game, Portal Knots, is currently on Kickstarter looking for funding. Portal Knots is a 2D platforming action-adventure game featuring multiple characters, each with unique abilities using their skills to fight an evil invading force all across the multiverse. Players will travel through the game recruiting and unlocking characters to help tackle the increasingly challenging worlds and unique bosses that lie within. There's no lantern rings in the game, but there are plenty of powers for you to check out, and maybe even a secret Green Lantern reference if you're paying close enough attention. There are a bunch of rewards available for backers, from getting the game itself to a retro games-inspired instruction manual, to getting yourself included in the game in glorious pixel artness. If you want to check it out yourself, head to portalnots.com slash kickstarter or just search for Portal Knots on Kickstarter itself to download a demo of the game and help get this game made today. Hi, this is Ron Mars. You're listening to the Lantern Cast, and I am contractually obligated to tell you this is the best Green Lantern podcast. <laughs> Hey podcast fans, this is Mike and Brad from the Hornet's Nest Podcast. Do you like the Green Hornet? Do you enjoy the 1966 Green Hornet series that starred Van Williams and Bruce Lee? How about the old-time Green Hornet radio episodes, the movie Cliffhangers, and the comic books? 
If you do, you're going to love our show. We cover all aspects of the Green Hornet. We also have a segment called Outside the Hive, where we talk about comic book-related materials like movies, TV shows, and some of our favorite comic book titles. That's right, Mike. Our show has something for everyone. So check out our podcast at www.hornetsnestpodcast.podbean.com. That's www.hornetsnestpodcast.podbean.com. You can also find us on iTunes. So go on, check it out. It's all free, and you'll be glad you did. This is John Stewart, Green Lantern of Sector 2814, and you are listening to the Lantern Cast. Hi folks, Sean Ingle here. And Strange Disembodied Voice here. And we're here to talk about the new direction going on over at Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. Like our in-depth coverage of the Howard Chaikin pen, Guy Gorker, collateral damage. No, because that book was utter sh**. But we are moving into the Judd Winnick run on Green Lantern, where we'll get stories about psychotic ring wielders, teenage sexual identity issues, and Kyle becoming a nearly godlike bee. And yet, still not as weird as Guy Gardner's warrior face. Yeah, you may have a point there. Plus, we'll be covering the ancillary books that came out at the same time, including Circle of Fire, A Thousand and One Emerald Knights, The Black Circle Green Arrow Crossover, and so much more. Which would easily make up for not covering collateral damage. Also, if you're subscribing to the show via iTunes, be sure to go to Two True Freaks Presents Just One of the Guys to make sure you get new episodes updated weekly. So, they kicked you off the main feed? No, they just streamlined it, so the Two True Freaks proper shows would only be on it. Are you sure it's not because Scott doesn't want a Green Lantern podcast on the network? Uh, no. In fact, he's spoken very glowingly about the show. I mean, he's even offered to come on into a guest bit. He said he really likes it, and despite his fact that he doesn't like Green Lantern all that much, he's come check out Just One of the Guys over at TwoTrueFreaks.com and subscribe in iTunes at Two True Freaks Presents Just One of the Guys. You'll be glad you did, or double your money back. Okay, Super Team Family number 12, uh, Green Lantern, Hawkman, and the Atom. Uh, the cover features one of those uh, uh, recognizable uh, time uh, placements. You could be in the Superman movie. Details inside. Uh, okay, and it's so, not Superman Returns, people. <laughs> that's right. Um, so we open in space. Uh, <laughs> Common theme. That's right. With uh, Green Lantern, uh, Hawkman, and Adam uh, flying through space. Basically, what they're doing is they're... Lo- now, I'm going to do a micro uh, uh, recap of this issue because it is double-sized. Um, they are looking for Jean Loring, which is Ray Palmer's wife or fiancé or girlfriend at this point. Um, it just says the woman he loves, so I don't know for sure. Uh, dang it, they might they might have referred to as his wife as no, she's called Loring. Okay, never mind. <clears throat> Girlfriend, woman he loves, fiance, whatever, doesn't matter. His um, main squeeze. Um, so they're flying through space trying to find G and Loring. They come across this planet. Uh, the beings uh, attack them in ships. Uh, they go up against them. Green Lantern takes on a few. Hawkman and uh, Adam take on a few. And then we get a bit of a recap. 
um, what had happened before um, is that uh, Iris Allen, which is the wife of Barry Allen, Linda Danvers, a.k.a. Supergirl, oh, and here it says, so Adam's fiance, uh, attorney Jean Loring, were all kind of kidnapped in a flash of light and just kind of disappeared. Well, uh, Adam, in a prior issue, um, Adam and Flash had found uh, T.O. Morrow had kidnapped them uh, on a planet that, like a living planet, think Mogo, but, you know, not nice, um, and gone up against them, and they got Supergirl and Iris back, but Gene disappeared again. Um, so Adam has been trying to working working on a, a method to track her since she's just randomly disappearing and showing up in various other places, he finally completes this method, but he's been up this whole time with worry and just kind of pushing himself past his limits to try and find her. So when he finally gets the method, he goes onto the satellite to talk to Hawkman and get his help in kind of miniaturizing the tracking device. And he collapses on the satellite. And once he's a little better, Hawkman and Green Lantern decide to, to help him out. So they do. Uh, Green Lantern probes the mind of one of the aliens that captured them and was saying how uh, this this race that attacked the the, the trio uh, here has come you know has subjugated this the, the planet that they were attacking from because you know you know they were weak and they couldn't even stand up to quote that woman and you know they probe a little further turns out the woman was Jean Loring she appeared on the planet and then she screamed uh, it looks like and uh then she disappeared again um which kind of knocked all these people out and the these other aliens took advantage of that and you know it's a whole thing so then all of a sudden after they get this information from these aliens the tracking device goes off again and says hey jeans at this other planet so the pairs the the trio splits up green lantern goes to tra track down the new signal while Hawkman and Adam go down to the planet's surface. Uh, they're attacked by the, the same aliens, but on the ground. They take, them, uh, they take a, a majority of them out, then one of them gets the better of them, uh, of both Adam and Hawkman, and knocks him out. Um, Hal shows up on the other planet where he was getting a signal and runs across a kind of medieval war. Um, one of them, uh, one of the gentlemen, uh, one of the guys is about to kill another knight, quote unquote. Uh, Hal stops it, splits up the army, takes one of uh, one group away, kind of gets the lowdown of what's going on. It's a whole, you know, challenge to my rule and reign as king, kind of a thing. And you know, my brother is trying to subjugate my people. It's all, it's a whole thing. And then also goes, you know, hey, we're uh, we're you know, collapsing into the sun over here. Yeah, the more important thing to deal yeah. with. Oh, by the way, we're moving. It's like the sun's moving closer to us. <laughs> yeah. So basically, Jean Loring had shown up on this other planet. They thought her a witch because this is a very, uh, this is a, a planet in its evolutionary process is in a stage of kind of the dark ages, like you know the the uh, medieval England kind of time. Um, Gene Loring is perceived as a witch, and because this guy hasn't burned the witch, uh, I'm responsible for the fate of our planet. 
Um, I'm responsible for the fate of our sun, which grows even hotter with each passing hour, growing to fill the sky like a bloody eye. Um, yea, the very eye of hell itself. Great guardians. Um, <laughs> and basically what, you know, it shows us later, but what's happening is this planet has slipped out of its orbit and is collapsing into the sun mm-hmm. very rapidly. Cut back to the other planet. Uh, Hawkman and Adam are kind of, uh, are, are, are imprisoned. One of the natives of the planet is kind of telekinetic uh, slash telepathic. Um, they can't get out of their bonds, but Adam, the, the the aliens that imprisoned them, doesn't know that Adam can shrink. So Adam shrinks even smaller, slips out of his cuffs, follows this stream of water uh, towards the only exit out of there, shrinks even smaller so that he can pass through the gate. But the gate is electrified in water, and the closer he gets, the more in danger he is of being electrified, no matter how small he is. Um, uh, so as he's hurtling towards electrified doom, we flash back to the other planet where Hal is. They're about to burn Gene Loring at the stake. Hal is trying to stop it. He gets knocked out. Uh, over to chapter three. Uh, Adam is in danger of being electrified. So he shrinks down to, quote, sub-microscopic and passes through the electrons and atoms of everything in there, including the electricity, and expertly whizzes by so that he can get through without being harmed. Pops through the other side. Back on the other planet where Hal is, he's going through some... Uh, what, are the, what did they call that thing where... Um, oh, what's his name? Where he used to pit Christians against lions. It's a gladiator-type thing. Um, the Colosseum. The Colosseum, yes. It's a very Colosseum-type setting. Hal is going up against this other person. Uh, Hal is without his ring. They're going against swords. The guy gets the better of Hal, knocks him down. Hal reaches out with all of his willpower to get his ring from the crowd, grabs it, and saves himself just in the nick of time. He does so. Um, uh, Hal says, you know, I can help save your planet, but I need to go get some help. So he does that. He goes back to the other planet to grab... Hawkman and Adam, and uh, first he he helps uh, Hawkman and Adam take care of the invading aliens, which are kind of like leeching, uh, psychic leeches, kind of, um, in the way that they imprison the the members of this uh, original race that uh, lived on this planet. By separating them from the ground, they, quote-unquote, break the circuit, uh, the, the 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 way that these aliens were able to subjugate these other uh, cre- these other uh, the, the locals I guess we'll call them is by having their feet on the ground they completed a circuit of psychic link with it's you know it's it's seventies eighties kind of you know hocus pocus stuff um, but by separating these aliens from the ground they break that circuit so they can't subjugate these people but. In the meantime, this planet has been devastated. Like there's, it's it's devoid of all resources. It has been tapped out. So Hal brings these uh, the inha- the original inhabitants, the locals of this other planet, over to the planet that he was just on, the medieval one. They use their psychic power to, uh, as one, to push the planet away from the sun and back into its original orbit. They do so. They succeed. Uh, all the moisture in the air from it, you know, coming closer to to the sun, 
uh, suddenly you know gets colder as they settle into the new orbit. It starts to snow. Uh, and then uh, now that the main disaster has been averted, uh, they can go back to focusing on Gene. And it turns out the second Hal left the planet, Gene disappeared again, and, you know, Ray is despairing. And next issue, Aquaman and Captain Comic join the search. Now, Here's I, a nice cheerful ending for you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of it's kind of hard to feel bad for Ray um, when you know what happens to Gene Loring. Yeah. Gene <laughs> uh, Loring, and I don't now. Okay, let me see. Where is the copy? Right. Um, Nineteen seventy-seven, uh, August September. So this probably. Hit shelves early summer, uh, late May, something like that. Maybe April, May. Probably. Uh, so, uh, much later on, it it is. I think it's much later. I don't remember when it happened to you. Jean essentially becomes Eclipso, and she murders um, Sue. Right. Yes, yeah, Sue was one of the people she killed. Shit. One of the people she kills is Sue Dibney, uh, wife of Ralph Dibney, aka the Elongated Man. Um, I believe this happens way, you know. God dang it, it happens much later, much much later. Wasn't that a that was identity crisis, right? Yeah, yeah. So much much later. Um, but yeah. So I, I I'm reading it with future knowledge, but but. So screw but, her. <laughs> <laughs> she can go traipsing and <laughs> uncontrollable throughout the galaxy. I don't give a crap. <laughs> Let her die and save Ralph and Sue. <laughs> uh, but anyways, I apologize. Uh, <laughs> what'd you think? I mean, I know I sent you some, uh, because we, I couldn't find a digital version of this. I sent you some, uh, some, uh, JPEG scans of the, the comics. Were you able to read it all? Yeah, it's fine. Okay. So what'd you think? You already, as, as uh, as a one issue, as we're reading, because obviously it's a bigger arc. So just looking at this one issue as a whole, I, you know, I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. In a way, you just felt, in a way, kind of left out because you don't know, you didn't get to see what happened before or happened after. Mm-hmm. But it was, an, I thought it was a, it was an interesting storyline. I liked the way they broke it up into the chapters. How you had, you know, Hal pretty much going to do his thing and Ray and Hawkman going to do their own and. Both have, and I kind of like to. I like the solution of basically combining, combining, you know, the, the problems with both worlds and having a, in theory anyway, a nice solution for, for both the innocent natives, if you will, of their respective planets. Yeah, I, I, and you know, I I got a little lost when they tried to explain how they fixed the problem on the other planet because let's see here. Um, you mean the psychic stuff, or yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that. That was a little. I, I. There is a certain amount of, a little bit of convoluted logic in, in explaining some of the stuff that goes on in this issue. There's, there's, there's no doubt about that. There's a little bit of, uh, you know, using the whole coincidence thing too, or just, just overall. But I, but I know exactly what you mean. There is a little bit of a explanation that just conveniently works, kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, you know, cuz comics, but, you know, uh, like, Hawkman is spectacular, but frankly baffling. They don't, Why don't the drones simply blast us and set themselves down by telekinesis? Hawkman goes, they can't. 
because their powers don't work when they're off planet. That's why they didn't use telekinesis during our space battle, and why they didn't use it against Adam and me on our arrival. And then Hal goes, obviously. <laughs> Jesus, Hal. Yeah, obviously I mean, they have to be in contact with the ground. <laughs> no, maybe their powers only work at 2 and 4 o'clock. <laughs> Every other Tuesday, you idiot. <laughs> obviously. Oh. Oh, that Hal. Hal, you're not Batman. Uh, I... <laughs> You know, I'm I'm not a particularly big fan of the art. Uh, now, I'm, I don't mean throughout the entire comic. I just mean in certain places. It just doesn't seem to work for me. Um, uh, and let's see. The artist here is Arvel M. Jones and Bill Drought. Um, so maybe I prefer one of them over the other, depending on which page, which who did what pages. Um, some places, I mean, it's not bad in any one place. It's just some pages seem a little better than others. Um, and maybe the inking is some somehow to blame there uh, a little bit. I don't know. It's kind of hard to tell. One of my favorite pages, though, is actually a, a page where no superheroes really appear. Um, it's actually the page where they're pushing the planet back uh, uh, from the sun. Right. That's a, That was a cool page. Yeah, that, se- that seems really well done to me. Um, Hawkman looks weird in with his helmet in some, especially some of the close-ups. But you know, then again, Hawkman's helmet has always looked weird to me, um, <laughs> especially in the older comics. So it's not like I expected it to be, you know, spot on or anything. Um, yeah, some some of the more specific plot points seem to be a little cumbersome to me. Like the, uh, you know, the whole medieval thing. You know, it 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 it's how the the powers worked for the the people on the planet that Hawkman and Adam were on and the whole backstory of what was happening on this medieval world it was very very encapsulated and it was just kind of like uh exposition fairy <laughs> kind of stuff but i mean again you this is a kind of a one shot i mean it continues uh, a, a prior storyline, but it, it, it's very much a, a kind of a one-shot thing, and even though it's a double-sized issue, you you only have so much to work with. That's true. So I don't really fault it for 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 you know, any reasons of of being a little bit hard to follow. Um, hmm. I don't know. Ray's kind of pissing me off in this issue too. By the whininess of him. Yeah, he's so whiny. Um, I mean, I, I get it. Uh, it's his fiance. At this point, Gene is not a murdering psychopath or anything like that. So it's not like, you know, it's not like any one of us, you know, if if the love of our life was kidnapped and in mortal danger and we're a superhero able to do something about it, wouldn't be worrying about it. But it just, I don't know. I mean, he does kind of man up when, when it's time for him to, like when he slips through the grate and then frees everybody. Uh, you know, he he does do his part, um, but I don't know, it just especially towards the end when he's just in despair and, I don't know. <clears throat> well, it's kind of, in a way, it's kind of almost, not quite as bad, but it's almost equally annoying the way uh, Hawkman is, like, playing shrink throughout the entire issue, too. <laughs> That's true. As much as, as much as Ray whines, you always have, you always have Hawkman going, oh. 
Ray's, Ray's talking again, so he must be okay. Ray, Ray's not talking, so I, I, I'm really worried about him. I've seen shit like this happen before. I don't know about this. <laughs> yeah, it was, they, they really are. I mean, Jerry's really playing up the the Hawkman Adam connection, which is bit, which is good because they've been paired up a lot in the past. So I mean, the, the Adam and Hawkman was was actually a title for a while. So. It's not. It's not like it's out of left field or anything. No, I know it's not. It, I mean, it, it's just an. It's another way to reinforce their bond and the, and the connection and that and that Hawkman knows him well enough that he that he can even without having an out and out discussion with Ray at any given moment, he knows kind of what he's thinking and stuff like that. So yeah, it's just to establish the connection. But yeah, uh, what did what did you think of of the whole? Not just the whole storyline, but like you know the art and and all of that. I thought most of the art was good. I I didn't have a I didn't have a major a major issue with it. Again, I think it's kind of very much again art of its time. I thought the cover was pretty good. Yeah, the cover's pretty dynamic. Um, one of when I was talking about how the art was kind of weird, um, that double page flash towards the beginning when they're fighting I mean, the ships. Yeah, it it's it's cool. But it seems a little less dynamic than I would hope. You know what I mean? Especially since almost all the, almost everything's on the left side of the page. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, for the characters being, uh, no, I don't want to say they lack detail. I don't know. Um, maybe it's just the the sheer amount of stuff on the page. Not just the word bubbles, but the narrative bubbles, the main title, the the symbol uh, lettering for the characters. Chapter one, the credits box. I mean, this just seems to be too much to detract from the actual action on the page. You know what I mean? Yeah, I can. I could see that. Uh, another cool thing. I know I didn't send you a scan of every single page, uh, but there were a couple of ads in here I thought were cool. I just sent you a text. Did you get it? Uh, I don't have my phone on me. Oh, it's okay. No problem. There is a uh, Swamp Thing ad. Um, which is really cool. It says Swamp Thing Saga books one and two by Lynn Ween and Bernie Wrightson. Um, 50 pages, no ads, plus a brand new Bernie Wrightson wraparound cover. So, I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> that's, that's, that was a really, uh, a really good run, uh, of comics right there for a lot of people. So it's cool to see it advertised in here. It says, uh, it's uh, it's uh, I liked it. Uh, there's an, there's another ad I thought was particularly funny. It's actually a full page ad, uh, <laughs> uh, for for crazy crabs. Because <laughs> if you gotta get crabs, you want the crazy kind. Amazing air breathing crazy crabs. <laughs> Is that a knock? I guess that must be a knockoff of sea monkeys. <laughs> no, no, no water, no water or fishbowl needed. They live on land. Great. Uh, the, the new live pet sensation that's sweeping America. You know what these? You know what these are? What? Hermit crabs. Oh. <laughs> it's a full page ad for hermit crabs. It's ridiculous. <laughs> remember, parents. Remember, kids. Go tell your parents. You what you want for Christmas is crabs. <laughs> yes. Oh man, you get them. You get a money back guarantee. <laughs> That's easy uh, for them. It's like, trust me, you'll get the crabs. Don't worry. <laughs> how much? How much does it cost? Let me see. 
To order your Crazy Crab, mail only $2.98 plus 52 cents postage each. We will include a fascinating handbook of instructions for the care, feeding, raising, and history of, quote, crazy crabs, and complete rules for all crazy crab games, tricks, and stunts. <laughs> and if you order now, you will also get free of charge a designer-decorated crazy crab carrying crate to conveniently tote your pet wherever you go. Live delivery guaranteed. Well, thank you for not deli- delivering dead crabs to me. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, yeah, they'll come a little defibrillators in case they do come dead. Clear! <laughs> uh, crazy crabs have a lifespan of up to 70 years. <laughs> Give it water, any kind of food, in parentheses, even cookies. And with care, you can keep one alive for the rest of your life. Yeah. I wonder how many crazy crabs were fed only cookies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. It can't be better than that SeaWorld ad, though. This ad, oh, yeah, the SeaWorld ad. Uh, I, I sent uh, Mark a scan of the back cover. Uh, the stars of a super of a super water ski and speedboat show, Jumping Jeopardy. You haven't seen a water ski show till you've seen it done by superheroes. Watch as we perform feats of strength and skill. See jumping boats, delta wing kite flyers, even barefoot skiing at SeaWorld of Florida and SeaWorld of Ohio. <laughs> it's Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman, and Robin on skis. This is actually a, a real SeaWorld show. Uh, and Aquaman and Mera actually made um, uh, main appearances in this. And the reason I know this is because um, the Fire and Water podcast, which is participating in this crossover... Uh, is part uh, partly run by uh, Rob Kelly, who does the AquamanShrine.net uh, blog, uh, covers all things Aquaman, uh, and it, he he actually covered the the he has several entrances on the SeaWorld show uh, uh, on his on his site, uh, like an inter- actually I think an interview there was an interview with the woman who played Mara uh, in one of the SeaWorld shows, so. If you're if you're more if you're curious about the DC superhero uh, water ski show, go to uh, AquamanShrine.net and uh, search uh, SeaWorld or something on the on the website. <laughs> I'm sure you'll find some stuff. <laughs> this freaking crab ad, man, it's getting me so much. <laughs> oh, a truly intelligent intelligent in all caps. A truly intelligent pet. Given a name such as Little Caesar, Leapin' Linda. Happy Henry, Sandy Claus, Tippy Toes, Sexy Snooky, <laughs> Merry Mimi. Sexy Snooky, they were years before the time. Snooky with a Y. Oh, Tiny okay. Tim, etc. And see how well it responds when you call it. It loves to be touched and petted and enjoys running from hand to hand. Swinging from your fingers or just cuddling on your shoulder like an adorable tame parrot. But that's just the start of the fun that awaits you. <laughs> <sighs> Um, you haven't lived until you've got our crabs. <laughs> uh, because it's so quiet and well-behaved, your crazy crab is is always welcome anywhere you go. To break <laughs> the ice and make new friends, take your crazy crab with you and be the center of attention. And to create some real excitement, you can even customize it. Because it's a hermit crab, its shell is not its own and can be painted, covered with dazzling rhinestone jewels or decorated in any other way without harm. It looks so spectacular, you can proudly show it off, give us a personalized gift, or if you wish, even sell for profit. <laughs> Black market crabs! 
Oh, God. Oh, wow. This is the best ad in my life. Holy crap. Oh, man. Uh, okay, back, back to the actual issue. Uh, anything else you want to say about the issue itself? After all that crab talk, how can we how can we top that? <laughs> well, good night, everybody. Uh, no, I thought it was I thought they were pretty good stories. I I didn't have a lot of high hope for the, the super team thing when I first started when I kind of first got in, sort of flipping through it. But I was kind of I liked the interaction with the heroes enough to like the villains themselves weren't much of a they didn't do much for me, but. I did like the interaction between the heroes, and I thought that I thought that I thought that worked enough. It was definitely definitely interesting. Uh, one of my favorite stories, and I think that's more for the art. I think uh, you know, as much as I we complain about modern comics, I think when I dip back into the past uh, in comics a little bit uh, and read something older, it kind of jars me how you know goofy and campy some of them can be. I kind of have to. The groove first, I guess. You know what I mean? Like I, 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 it's just I have to read several of them at a clip so I don't recognize how seventies or whatever they are. You know what I mean? Yeah. So reading such small snippets, the the kind of zaniness of them jumps out to me. Um, but it's definitely it's uh, they're definitely enjoyable in their own right for sure. Yes, absolutely. What did you think of the characterization of Hal in the Super Team Family issue? I thought it was pretty good overall. I don't. I didn't get. I, in a way, I didn't get. I didn't get the sense that he, despite the fact that it said Super Team presents Green Lantern and Hawkman, plus Adam. I kind of didn't get. In a way, I didn't really get the vibe that Green Lantern was really a ma- the main one of the two main characters in, in here, though. I kind of thought it was more Ant Ant Man, Freudian, more Adam and Hawkman's book, <clears throat> even despite the fact that. Hal does get kind of his own mini arc inside when he goes to the medieval themed planet. Medieval times. Uh, I thought he. I mean, I thought it was a fair representation. I didn't think it was. I didn't. I didn't notice anything, you know, out of the ordinary. Other other than him kind of like violating the prime directive left and right on that planet. <laughs> but that's Hal for you. <laughs> Well, uh, one one little panel bothered me towards the beginning. Uh, Hal says, for a policeman from the planet Thanagar, problems like this are child's play. Too bad we members of the Green Lantern Corps don't receive your kind of training. After all, sometimes our tactics are just a trifle unorthodox. Yeah, that was that was odd. That was almost like almost like Thanagarian police received better training than the Green Lanterns. Yeah, that that I agree. That panel was kind of odd. When I first read it, it's kind of like I, I wasn't even entirely sure how to take how to take that, especially based on what Hal's doing with his ring. It just kind yeah. of seemed odd. I mean, because you're right, based on reading it, that's that's the way you that's the way you take it. But then you're looking at what I yeah that yeah that did seem a little out of place. It didn't upset me really. It just it stood out. Yeah, you know what I mean. <clears throat> For sure. And plus, okay. so, plus, it was in the beginning of the book, so it made sense if we stand out a little bit more then. Yeah. Okay, anything else you want to say about these issues? No, they were fun reads, though. For sure, for sure. Um, and uh, don't, don't forget, guys, to definitely double-check www.lanterncast.com uh, and find the entry on our website for this particular post. This is episode number uh, 220. 
Um, and uh, there you will find not only links to the other participating blogs and podcasts in what we're calling the Conway Crossover, which is, we're using the hashtag ConwayXOver uh, on, uh, on social media platforms, so you can find other, other uh, crossover entries there. Uh, but also check the website to find the uh, emphasis behind all of this, uh, which is the Jerry Conway's original post about creator equity, uh, as well as the follow-up posts, uh, including his apology to DC um, for for uh, the, the the whole story. Um, Additionally, again, don't forget to check out the, some of the other participants, uh, participants. I'll just list them off again here real quick. The Superman and Batman podcast, Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror, Flowers and Fishnets, Comic Book Time Machine, Supermates, The Hammer Podcasts, Superman Forever Radio, Task Force X, Head Speaks, Quarterbin Podcast, Fire and Water Podcast, Pop Culture Affidavit, King Size Comics, Giant Size Fun, From Kid to Flash, Hey Kids Comics, Between the Pages Blog. Uh, and also, uh, guys, I wanted to just throw out there real quick, if you're also curious more into the uh, uh, the more uh, in-depth side of Jerry Conway's thing, the Fire and Water podcast uh, participation in this crossover is actually an interview with the man himself, Jerry Conway, regarding this uh, uh, this very uh, this very issue of creator equity with DC. Um, he was on there very recently. It is episode uh, 125, uh, featuring an interview with Jerry Conway himself. So I highly recommend you check that out. Um, uh, again, lanterncast.com to, to find all, all the participating podcasts and more information on the, the issue itself. And how, how else can they contact us or, or, or find more information about us, Mark? Not sure, Chad. <laughs> <laughs> Beats the hell out of me. Uh, email us at lanternca- email us, lanterncast at gmail.com, lanterncast at gmail.com. As Chad mentioned, check out our our main site lanterncast.com get more information about this Jerry Conway episode uh, all our other episodes our ring cyclopedias uh, we've done some video blogging probably do more of that uh, you can follow us on, on Twitter and like us on Facebook use hashtag GLcast to find us on both we are also on iTunes and Stitcher so you can find us there and leave us positive reviews last but not least uh, leave us if you would like and please do leave us a voicemail you can do that by calling us at 708-LANTERN, 708-LANTERN, and let us know what you think. And if this is the first time you're listening to the LanternCast, welcome. Uh, and just to get it out there, since we probably have a little bit bigger audience than we usually do, pay attention to the LanternCast in the months of June and July, as we will be celebrating among uh, with other sites and podcasts um, uh, and blogs and such the 75th anniversary of Green Lantern. Uh, I don't want to say any, any any more than that, but it's a big deal. So uh, check back with the Lantern cast uh, very, very soon uh, in the months of June and July, and we will have lots and lots of exciting content for you guys. Sounds good. All right, guys. We'll talk to you later. Good night, everybody. Good night.
so just talk yeah. now then, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we're we're, we're live. We're, we're live, guys. We're, we're we're back after the credits. So we we wanted to add in a little bit of something uh, since we're our big uh, uh, Age of Ultron discussion episode uh, previously. And Mark, you you said you had some stuff to talk about because you you've since seen it. Uh, a couple more times, yes, right? Yes, I, unfortunately, as I as I mentioned when we did that episode, I couldn't see it. I wanted to before we talked about it. I wanted to see it a second time, didn't get a chance. But last week, by luck of the draw, Thursday night and Friday night, I was actually able to see it. So two nights in a row. So after seeing it, I would say in, generally after seeing it, just as after the second time, I felt this way, and the third time reinforced it. I do like it a little bit more than I thought that I did. Not I thought. I do like it a little bit more than I did the first time I saw it. I still don't think it's better than the first. I don't, but I do. Th- I think it holds up much better, and there th- and I appreciate it. I think a little bit more. But the thing that I really I wanted to just talk about for a second was t- it, the two things that are tied together. Like at the very end of the movie, well, with all, at least related to Ultron and the Vision, because I really started thinking about did I re- do I really think that the Vision actually killed Ultron? Or did he do something else with him? Because I think there's a possibility that he, that maybe he found a different solution to where Ultron's not necessarily completely gone. Not just be, not necessarily just because, though it could be, just because the Vision is kind of compassionate and he also made it clear he's kind of a, a white ring kind of guy, that he, he kind of like believes in all life. But there's also that part that, you know, you and I didn't talk about and I didn't really see many people talk about when they were... I think analyzing the movie. Some people probably did, but I didn't see a lot of this. Now we don't know what really took place between Thor and, and the Vision when they were having their conversation outside Avengers Tower. They had that moment before everybody went was getting ready to go to Sokovia to deal with Ultron and to you know that the Vision and Thor were talking alone, and we don't know what they were talking about. We just saw them talking outside Avengers Tower. So it's possible that besides sharing part of, no pun intended, what his own vision was of, of related to the Infinity Stones, that maybe Thor, maybe, who knows, maybe even though Tony Stark's usually the one has, who has always been going behind people's back to try to do things for the greater good, maybe knowing what was coming with the, as a bigger threat, even though Thor at this point doesn't know that it's necessarily Thanos, but he just knows something big is coming, that maybe he may have said something to the Vision along the lines that if you can figure out a way to basically incapacitate Ultron but not to completely wipe him out, maybe we, he can come in handy down the road based on what we're going to be dealing with. Because you could definitely see, because needless to say, Ultron could do a lot of damage, certainly from a, when it comes to like an armada in fleet-wise, but the powers that they've given him in this movie, like the cyborg Superman aspect, being able to jump from system to system and things to thing. So I just thought I just thought about that at the end, especially combined with we don't really see what the vision does to Ultron. We just see the the mind gem flare, and you see kind of an explosion, but you really don't see what happens. So that's just something I thought about after this, especially after the second time and and the third time of seeing it, that maybe there's a possibility that that Ultron isn't really dead. And I mean by conscious a conscious decision by the vision, besides the always. Possi- the the always out there possibility that the, that Ultron himself built in like a software back you know back door that he could dump himself into the Vision's body as a, you know as an as an emergency much like Cyborg Superman put the physical uh, back door onto back of Doomsday as a backup in case he needed to go somewhere safe to hide for a while so that's just the stuff that popped into my head 
Yeah, I'd like to think Ultron is still a possibility in the future. I just the the problem is I also think another character is. Uh, I also thought slash think another character villain is still around, but we still haven't seen him yet. Red Skull. Oh yeah, he'll, like yeah, he'll. he'll I, I have no doubt he'll be back at some point because 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 he's he's really about as dead as Loki was at the end of at the end of uh, Thor. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in basically the exact same way. Yeah. I mean, uh, Red Skull was no, definitely not killed. He was transported. Yep. Uh, but I just don't know. Maybe he'll know, show up. Maybe he'll show up during the Infinity War. Maybe it's just I kind of the the further we get along, the more I think we would have seen him by now. I, I just I don't know. Who knows? Maybe we'll see him in Civil War, or maybe we'll see like maybe he'll uh, play a role in in Cap's death because um, they're they're saying somebody dies in Civil War, but I mean it's got to be Cap, right? But I don't see how it could be. We know he's going to be in the Infinity War. Well, he characters die and come back all the time. I'm just saying, in, at the at the end of the Civil War storyline, Cap gets shot, and, and I, I'm talking about the comics, not, right. the, not the movie. Cap gets shot and killed, um, and the Red Skull is behind that. Um, right. So I just, you know, I just, I don't know. Um, that movie already has so many characters in it. To reintroduce Red Skull at that point would be almost too much. Yeah, because because you already have you have you have. The, you have the you have what the major villain well you have Baron Zemo who's supposed to be the major villain I suppose and you got like Crossbones which is the physical villain mm-hmm. and then you and you don't know who Martin Freeman is playing so you don't know if he's playing a good guy or a bad guy so you have no idea who he's playing so yeah. and and you have Bucky too in there who is probably not really a villain at this point but not he kind of doesn't know what he is mm-hmm. so yeah you, I mean you I think you with Civil War I think you're gonna have almost like two plots. You're going to have the the right-in-front-of-you plot, which is, you know, what Steve Rogers is dealing with, trying to, trying to track down Bucky, dealing with, you know, Crossbones, trying to figure out what Baron Zemo's up to, and then you have the all-encompassing outer plot, or bigger plot, which is what's, what's going on around the scene, so everybody's trying to limit, you know, when, the super, when these superhumans can do this and do that, and when we're going to need them and call them in and, you know, brain them in. So I think that's probably, I think, how it's going to work. So, but, but yeah, as far as the Avengers go, that's that's just a thought that I had is that since we really don't see what it's obviously heavily implied that the, that Ultron's wiped out by the Vision based on everything we hear up to that point. But since we don't really see what he does, maybe he figure maybe he has figured out a way to, you know, in, incapacitate him but not completely destroy him because, because maybe he knows either because of what Thor told him or just because of the, of the having the mind gem in him too, that he knows since, since he see since he responds pretty quickly to Ultron's statement about how human beings are doomed, and he just kind of like responds, you know, affirmatively, matter of factly, like yeah. <laughs> so not and that could just be a Spock kind of logical uh, response, or it could be that he really has a better a, a greater again, no pun intended, a greater vision of what's going of the future of what's going to happen. So maybe he figures Ultron might be a, an ace in the hole that could help them when dealing with Thanos or whatever else, or whatever the threat is down the road. So just a thought. There does come a time when you must unwind, and it's just a week. <laughs>
I gotta call my dad.